0: Uh, we're in a series called The Lion and the Bear Stories, and uh, it comes out of a, I got to thinking, we got a lot of guests here today, and you're going, what the world is that? Um, because you haven't been here, but good news is, um, every sermon was exactly the same, I just changed the stories up a little bit. So, um, King David, when he was a little boy, as a shepherd, um, had to tell two stories to King Saul to get to go fight Goliath, and uh, his stories were about a lion and a bear that attacked the sheep. And he whooped that lion and that bear. That's a serious shepherd, by the way. I mean, a serious, serious shepherd that will go whoop a lion and a bear and uh, be able to, to rescue. He says he rescued the sheep from its mouth and, and killed the lion and the bear. And he said, God delivered him from that, and God's going to deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. And that's when the king of all Israel gave a shepherd boy the authority to go down into the valley. Now, that's a very short summary of about three weeks of teaching here. Um, but we're going to come right back around to it in a few minutes. But I've asked our church family as well to tell their lion and bear stories. And we've had several people do that. And uh very excited for you get to hear Victoria tell her story. She's a nursery dad because she? she hates her story. She hates being on video. Yeah, she didn't want to see her own story, um, even though she told her story. But uh, you all know Victoria well. So, But anyway, she has a great story about uh, a, a giant in her life, uh, a bear. Um, that was ruling her life as a young child. Uh, even after she had trusted Christ, she had some issues that she had to overcome. And uh, through faith in Christ and through some strong grace teaching, um, God just gave her victory over that, um, just like He did David. So I want you to see victorious, and uh, I'm going to give my voice a rest while I do that.
1: Growing yeah. up, we went to church off and on, but it wasn't until I was 11 years old and in the fourth grade that a friend invited me to spend the night with her. It's the first time i would ever spent the night away from home. And so I went with my friend and spent the night with her that night and her church was having a revival. And I'd never been to a church like that. It was a Pentecostal church and it was revival. So they were singing and dancing and running around. And the next day when her dad and mom took me home, they invited my family to church. My mom and my sister and I started going to the Pentecostal church. That you know, was my first experience with God and getting saved. I got saved in the Pentecostal church, um, but then when I got about 13, I started losing my way. I started getting pulled by my peers to do things that I shouldn't do. I um, started drinking, smoking, and one thing led to another, and just before my 16th birthday, I found out I was pregnant. And that's when I went back to God. I turned around. I didn't want to be that type of person raising a kid and being, you know, drinking and smoking. But I was trying to find my way, and I started going back to the Pentecostal church, but I always felt judged. I always felt like these people were looking down on me, and they were nice to my face but I could hear the whispers when I turned around to walk away and I was like I'll never be good enough guys we talked about the type of woman they wanted to marry and I was not the pure untouched girl that they were looking for and I would judge myself and realize that I'll never be that again I can't fix that I've repented and everything but I've never felt washed clean I guess so I ended up meeting my husband wonderful man that did not judge me and was very thankful for him and in our early marriage we went to church but I still never connected with church anymore I just went like okay we'll go to church the kids like Sunday school we'll go to church we'd go off and on and it wasn't until about four years ago, this Easter, I think it was four years ago, we started coming to Northside, kind of begrudgingly, I'll admit. my <laughs> kids wanted to come here because of homeschool, so we started coming. And we all got in the car after that Sunday, Easter Sunday service, and we were like, wow, that's home. We felt at home, and I don't remember exactly when Pastor Stan preached about grace, and it was the first time I heard grace preached like that, the first time I actually felt like I didn't have to be good enough, I didn't have to pay my way to heaven, I didn't have to you know, do X, Y, and Z and, you know, not cut my hair or not wear makeup or not wear pants or not do this to get to heaven. That God had already forgiven me and washed me clean and that I really was clean. I really was made whole and it was all because of grace. It wasn't anything I could do. There wasn't anything I could say. I couldn't pay enough tithes. I couldn't go on enough missions trips for God to forgive me and to love me and to accept me that he already did all because of his grace. And that's my line and bear
0: story. Um, well, what a, what a blessed testimony though because the, the line and bear for her and this hurts a pastor's heart was shame that she felt in the body of Christ. The body of Christ was not given her the freedom to be a failure that's re- restored by grace. And so there was quite a bit of of struggle that was going on in her life during that time. And when grace really took over, it set her free. And that's really, really powerful. So um, that's a lion and bear story that you can share, by the way. You can tell people you know somebody that was caught up by shame, that could, had a hard time letting go of their failures, and then learned about God's grace, and it set them free. That'd be really really strong for you to use and and uh diana's story that she told and as i told you and robert's story robertson children's church today all those are good line and bear stories and i think some of you other ones have line and bear stories um, we should use those for god so i'm going to use the exact same outline i've used three weeks in a row because i think our church is slow No, because the pastor's slow and this helps him <laughs> so <clears throat> stop taking ownership of your slowness <clears throat> But I want you to hear, first of all, just the importance of the story. I've told you three times in a row now. This will be the third time. The stories are important. They're important. And they're all through the scriptures. Um, We started by telling you this. uh, Or last week I told you the story of the Apostle Paul. When he tells his story to the king, um, he's able to testify to the king and give glory to God. Because stories are that valuable and that important. Um, this week I want to take you to a story about Jesus. And Jesus used stories all the time. Some of them we call parables, where he would, would tell sort of a, a, an analogy that would help people understand. He talked about sowers, uh, farmers casting seed onto soil. And he talked about the different kinds of soils. That's a story he told to get people's brains in gear. He talked about shepherds and sheep, and, and people would connect with that. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, he's confronted about uh, in a, with a story that said where a, <clears throat> a lawyer stands up in, in the temple court with him to test Jesus. Bad idea, by the way. But he's going to test the Almighty Son of God, who's, you know, omniscient, omnipresent, all wise, all knowing, uh, creator of all the universe. He's going to test him. But, you know, the lawyer's just trying to figure out how to stump this great teacher that he's encountered. And so he says, you know, Master, what is the greatest commandment and and uh, how, how can i have eternal life and and jesus knows he's a lawyer which means he studied the old testament law he's a jewish lawyer it means he's memorized giant chunks of the law and so jesus says well you being a lawyer you really know the answer to your own question don't you In other words, jesus is already looking right through his soul going that's not really what you're here for you're trying you're trying to make me look stupid so i'm going to just spin that table around for a second and go well, don't you know the answer to that one as a lawyer and, and it, of course, now he's on trial himself. And he has to repeat it. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your neighbor is yourself. And Jesus goes, you have rightly said, do this. Luke chapter 10. Do this and you'll have eternal life. Now the lawyer's kind of made himself look stupid. He stood up to ask this very bright question. Right? And he's answered his own question. And, and it's like, you can, you can be seated now, kind of moment. So the lawyer feels stupid, so he asks an even... Stu- you know when you really get embarrassed and you get stupid, you ask really stupid, stupider questions? That's what he does. So it's kind of the dumb and dumber moment where he goes, uh, he goes, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus is like, really? Okay, so let me tell you a story. Now I believe a lot of people call it the parable of the Good Samaritan... You know, your church folks are very familiar with that parable. A lot of people call it the parable of the Good Samaritan, but I actually believe it was a local news story. I think Jesus took a story from the local, would have been what we considered the newspaper, which was just talk around town of what had just happened recently. Um, People telling the story of this man who was traveling from a specific place to a specific place. That's why I don't think it was a parable, because it wasn't generalized. He was specifically going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers in that uh, road, which has a lot of robbers on it, and he took him to an inn, which is on that road, and all that good stuff. And, but Jesus tells this great story. Here's his story of a good Samaritan to tell about eternal life. Now, in Jesus' day, that was a horrible way to say that. Because in the Jewish temple where Jesus was teaching, with the Jewish lawyer interrogating him, there's one group of people the Jews really hated with the Romans. And it was the Samaritans. They weren't good guys at all. In Jesus' story, by the way, the priest and the Levite, the good guys, ignore the man in the ditch. But the Samaritan, the bad guy, who who the Jews love to judge, the bad guy literally turns against, turns and helps, and and it says he's crossed over the road to help this wounded man. So Jesus uses stories to help us learn, here's what eternal life looks like. Then Jesus asks the, the, the lawyer at the end of the story, he goes, so who do you think? In this story, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which one do you think was has eternal life? Which one showed mercy? And, and and the lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan, by the way. That's how Jewish he is. He won't even say that word in the temple. He says, um, the one who showed mercy. Jesus goes, do that and you'll have eternal life. So Jesus uses a story to just b- blow their minds up to go, here's what it looks like. Let me ask you to turn to Luke chapter 7. With me this morning. If you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screens if you didn't bring one. Um, And in Luke chapter 7, one of the Pharisees, verse 36, asked him to eat with him. Jesus is invited into the home of a Pharisee to eat with him. He went to the Pharisee's house. He took his place at the table. Now, by the way, the Pharisees were extremely religious zealots. They were very powerful people in the community. They were very wealthy. Um, They were very arrogant most of the time. They looked down on everybody. That was just a struggle they had in that culture. And uh, not not saying our culture doesn't have a lot of the same problems. And we were talking about last week with uh, the Apostle Paul um, standing before King Agrippa. He just loved the king. The king had a very different view on life, but he loved on him. He didn't embarrass him by his false beliefs or his misunderstanding. He found a way to connect with him. And Jesus always connected with people. And so he's connecting with this Pharisee. And then this woman of the city who was a sinner... Um, we, we don't know exactly what her name is. People think it's Mary from the previous passage, but it's it's clearly not biblically if you follow the, the whole trail of the evidence there. so But this woman of the city who's a sinner, we believe she's some sort of uh, streetwalker in the, in the local town, she learns that Jesus is there, and she absolutely loves Jesus. And at these big parties, I've told this story before, so I'm going to kind of skip skip to the very important parts. These big parties, the rich people like the Pharisees, were allowed to have patrons that stood around the walls of their homes, stood around the walls of their little uh, house to, to honor them. And they were people that, the, that, that were literally paid almost to to stand there, and when they, when they tell a funny story or say something impressive, they go, ooh, ah, kind of thing. And they were just literally paid to be there and hang out. Well, this woman slips into that crowd and stands against the wall, and she can't stand what she's experiencing. So let's just keep reading. Um, she, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. <clears throat> Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wipe them with her hair of her head, and kissed his feet, anointing them with, with the ointment. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, the Pharisee, thinking in his brain, he's talking in his brain, says to himself, if this man were a prophet, so here he is judging Jesus, this man were a prophet, he would have known who he was and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. That's got to be an interesting moment, isn't it? You're at dinner with Jesus, and he goes, Hey, I need to explain something to you, big man. And by the way, the Pharisee never said it out loud. He's thinking judgmental, critical thoughts about what this woman is doing. I love that part. And so he just Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a story. Here's the story, verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's, by the way, 500 days' wages. So whatever your daily wage is, multiply that, that by 500. It's over a year, that's a year and a half plus of wages. The other owes 50 denarii, 50 days' wages, not even a year. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon says, The one I suppose for whom is canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, now Jesus is looking at the woman who's at his feet, but talking to Simon. love this. Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. He's looking at her. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Let me tell you what happened. When she was standing against that wall and she saw the disrespect, just the hosting disrespect that happened to this man she knew had great love in her, his heart for everybody in the room. Because she knew Jesus loved her and Jesus loves that Pharisee that's judging. And she can't stand that disrespect. So she's going to find a way to anoint his feet and to anoint his head because the Pharisee should have done all that. A good host would have done, at minimal, would have offered for him to do it for himself. And none of that ever happened because there was such disrespect for Jesus. And she's not about to let that go down. And so she just takes this giant risk. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little and he said to her your sins are forgiven and those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves who is this then who even forgives sins he said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace it's very interesting to me the religious the powerhouse religious man in his own home is not a follower of the truth of Christ there but she is now, let me just give you a couple of quick thoughts about this story. Because I, like, I, I love how Jesus just drops a story right on top of a situation. He's able to just go, here, let me tell you a quick story. And it makes it, he makes it real. It's a big risk moment for this Christ follower. This woman is a follower of Christ. And she at some point has encountered him, we believe, in one of the times he was walking through the city. She's seen him heal somebody or seen, heard his teachings. And she has decided, he loves everybody and I love him. And I'm going to follow him. So she ends up following him into this house and secretly standing against the wall, probably could have been thrown out very easily had somebody recognized or caught her or whatever. So she's at high risk. And then in that risk moment of getting into the house, she has a second risk moment. And here it is. I'm just going to say it out loud to my Christ followers in the room. If you know Christ, your Lord and Savior, here's her other challenge. She has an opportunity to identify And declare her love for Jesus publicly in a setting that's very hard. Very hard. Because there ain't a lot of love going around that room for Jesus. There's a whole lot of judging going on. And so she decides, I'm just going to risk it all. We talked about this at our Vision Sunday. She's like, I'm all in. I'm going in. And so here she has this big risk moment where she needs to act or speak for Jesus. I believe God gives every Christ follower in this room, if you're a dedicated Christ follower and you love him with all your heart, I believe he gives every one of you opportunity to do that every week. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he want you to brag on him? But I believe a lot of times we stand choked up or fearful and we lack the courage. But let me tell you what gives her courage. So he tells this story about two debtors who, and the story is about forgiveness and love. Forgiveness and love that's generated, that's generated from that forgiveness. So, the love and forgiveness that Jesus showed her caused her to love him back fully. And by the way, she understood pure forgiveness. She understood what it meant to be fully forgiven. That's why Jesus tells a story of forgiveness. Okay? So, here's Jesus telling this story. And when you're forgiven, and you understand your debt? It always generates love. It always generates love. That's why, that's why us, us, us as pastors, that's why we pastors sometimes struggle when we, when we see people who declare themselves to be Christ followers, who say they're Christ followers and, oh, I love God, but then they don't actually live out that love. Because Jesus said very clearly in the Scriptures, very clearly in the Scriptures, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Do what you're supposed to do. Do what I ask. So here's this woman who is willing to risk so much. The woman in this story was willing to risk because she understood forgiveness and she understood Jesus' love. That's why she was willing to risk. And I say many of us as Christians have not truly understood His forgiveness or His love or we would risk more in conversation. Have you ever been in a setting where you knew you should speak up for God? where you knew you should talk about Jesus. Maybe it's a, a family setting. Maybe there's people in your home at, at a, a Christmas or a, a, a Thanksgiving meal. There's, there's a time there's a July 4th celebration. Just a, there's a window of opportunity for you to speak. Like the Apostle Paul had that window of opportunity with the king. And, and it's your turn. The Lord's calling you to speak into that. And then, then something has to happen inside you. And you have to decide, I love God enough for what he's done for me because forgiveness is so important to me. His forgiveness is so important, I'll risk. I'll risk. That's what this woman does. She risks. I read this great quote this past week. It's going to end up in uh, camp, by the way, those of you going to camp. Uh, When the task is scary, Jesus came to make us brave and not safe. See, a lot of us as Christians want to be safe. You read the New Testament, there's not a lot of safe going on There's a whole lot of risk going on. A whole lot of risk in your faith. You're not supposed to always be safe. It's not safe in our culture hardly anymore to speak of Jesus publicly. You can get in trouble for that. So? (laughs) He still loves you and forgives you and He wants you to declare His name. He wants you to declare His name. This woman was willing to risk because she understood. She was also willing to sacrifice because she understood forgiveness. And so she, she sacrifices this alabaster uh, oil and this this beautiful oil that she pours out to him was was a willing sacrifice she's also willing to love Jesus openly in a hostile environment. She loves Jesus openly in a hostile environment because she understood forgiveness and love. See why Jesus tells the story? He's trying to help the Pharisees at the table so understand you don't get forgiveness. you don't understand how much you've been forgiven. That's what he's trying to help the Pharisees understand. And then God is not wanting you to be perfect, by the way, or to love him perfectly, but he does want you to try. That's what she was, she's like, well, I'm just going to try to honor him because he's been dishonored in this room. So she just risk going up to him, probably he's he's reclining at a table. The tables were on the ground back then. He's reclining at this low table and she's his feet are out there. So she just, she just gets down and washes his feet and wipes them and, and anoints his head. But he, God wants us to begin to speak and testify of our love. Just try. Just try. And I'm begging my church family. I know we got guests today. I'll beg you as well. Because I believe if you're a Christ follower, you're supposed to. Just try to speak for him. As Bill Hobble said in the video we watched, walk across the room shake somebody's hand, start this great adventure of where could this go if I bring some spiritual information into this conversation somewhere? Where could God take this? What could happen? It could change a person's eternity when you do that. So important that we step out and do that. So the gospel was very clear in this little story. And I'm just going to tell you, every one of you in this room have been forgiven much by a Savior who was willing to go to a cross and die there for your sins. Everyone in this room has been forgiven much. All of your sins were paid for by Jesus. If you've ever trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, you get that. And now your heart should say, I've been forgiven much, and I will risk much to speak that conversation. I will love Him openly. In, in hostile environments, I will speak His name openly. Love Him because of what, he'd done, what He's done for you. If you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, it's be a great day to do that. And those of you that are our guests today, we just invite you. There's nothing scary about it. matter of fact, it's the most wonderful thing you could ever do. It's not hard. It's not complicated. Um, and it'll give you a peace like you've never had before. And a joy and a hope like you've never had before. So I'll give you an opportunity at the end of the service and uh, just, to, just to say a little prayer to do that. So we've talked about the importance of the story. Stories are very important. Jesus uses them all the time. When my kids were growing up, we lived in uh Alabaster. We lived in Alabaster, and I, my friend Allison from Birmingham's here today with her daughter. We lived we, we lived before we lived in Alabaster, we lived in East Lake at a little tiny house, 860 square foot house, had three, two bedrooms and a bathroom in between. And uh, all my kids were in one room till they were like till Josh was like twelve years old. So I built this triple tier bunk bed for him, and poor Josh was stuck at the ceiling. He'd be raised, he banged his head when he got older. So <laughs> But uh, but one of my favorite things to do was to go in at night and put them to bed and we'd, we'd say our prayers together and we'd always put on a little Christian music uh, for, for them to hear. But but in the midst of all that, I loved to tell them stories. And so I would tell them stories about my childhood. I would tell them about me and my stupid brother, bike riding. Remember when we used to build ramps? Remember, remember those great ramps we would build? We'd find a board and a block and make a ramp. Well, my brother and I were really... <laughs> stupid and uh so we built ours in the oyster shell driveway of our yard now we have plenty of grass we had plenty of dirt we had plenty of sand when, when i grew up out here in sims but we decided the ramp worked better in the driveway where the oyster shells were so when you crash coming off of that you know you get all those oyster shell cuts all over your arm we still have scars all day all over our elbows you younger people don't understand this. Back in that day, there were no helmets. <laughs> there were no elbow pads. You didn't have to look like you were going to battle with somebody when you rode your bike. You just got on it and rode your bike. And uh, But I just remember all the fun stories I told the kids growing up. You know, I just told them the stories of us building forts in the woods and you know hiking and all the kind of fun stuff we, we would do. Stories are important. As parents, you should tell your kids stories. Tell them about your childhood so they get a relationship going with you and they understand your childhood. And they can relate it to their childhood. Jesus knew the value and the importance of the story. The power of the story is real evident in our King David... or uh, Shepherd Boy David story. And I'll just remind you real quick. David shows up. He's a shepherd and a musician. And he shows up um, at the battlefield... because his father says, Hey, run up to the, to the army. They're, they're encamped on a, on a hill with the Philistines on the other side of this hill and there's a great valley in between them, and run up there and see how the battle's going, and I want you to give them some bread and cheese. He actually sends them with some, some wheat and some cheese, and, and uh, so I call him the pizza delivery boy. So little David is a shepherd and a musician. He would, Sometimes he would go to camp and play for Saul because Saul, King Saul had migraines. So he's a shepherd, a musician, and a pizza delivery boy. You get it? Remember that? And he shows up at this battlefield 40 days into the battle. And for 40 days, this giant of a guy, 9 foot tall plus, walks out and shouts curses at the Israeli soldiers. The mighty army of God has had curses shouted at him the whole time. They've been shouted at and cursed at. And he's, he's promised that he will take one warrior, just send one guy down. We'll fight. And whoever wins the fight, you know, the other group becomes slaves to that. Well, nobody wants to go fight Goliath. He's nine foot tall. You know, he looks like this terrifying guy. So for 40 days, Israel has been held captive by this guy. Day 41. Day 41, my favorite number, my favorite new number, by the way. Day 41. A pizza delivery guy who can play really good instruments. And he's really good as a shepherd. He's a really good shepherd, by the way. Shows up. And here's all that. And he goes, well, that ain't right. Why is he insulting our God? He should not be insulting our God. Our God doesn't get insulted. Who does he think he is? Now, all the little soldier boys around the front lines are going, oh, David, you don't understand what's happening. This is crazy. And they start telling him all the story. You can imagine how animated all these young soldiers are with David. You know, oh, this is amazing. And the king has promised, you know, all these gifts and, a, and his own daughter in hand of marriage. If you'll, somebody will just go down there. But none of us are going, man, that's crazy. Be crazy to go down there. And David just looks around and goes, well, I'll go. He can't talk about God like that. And you go, where did David get that courage? Well, it's because he's got some history with God. He's got some stories with God. I'm just going to ask real quick. Raise your hand if you have some history with God. In working in your life. Whoa, look at all those stories. Right there. You've got some history. So you can walk down some hills and face some giants. That's the whole deal that happens in this story. So, and, and we just have this, you can put that whole slide up here. I think it's the enraged by Goliath slide. We've used this every week. So just pop that whole one up there for me. So David is enraged by Goliath defiance of gods. He's mocked by his brothers on the front lines there. The king even doubts him. and goes, you'll never be able to do this, son. But then he tells the king, when he gets to the king's tent, he goes, well, let me just tell you a couple stories. And and the stories are real simple. He says, once I was watching my sheep, my father's sheep, and this lion came out and took one of the sheep. And just for you newcomers, I'm just telling you, as a shepherd, I would have went, uh, hey, man, we've got uh, like 88 more over here, so you keep that one, you're good. Hope you enjoy that. I'm not coming after you. But David's like, no, that's a valuable part of this flock. and my, It belongs to my father. So he charges after the thing. And he actually says he took it out of the mouth of the lion. And when the lion turned on him, he killed that lion. That's a serious shepherd. You do not want to mess with David's sheep. I'm just telling you, you don't ever want to mess with David's sheep. And a bear did the same thing. And so David tells that story to the king. And then he says, and if the Lord would honor if God would give me the strength to defeat a lion and a bear, this uncircumcised Philistine is nothing. Nothing. Now that's a guy that has some history. And he understands. I'm full of God's stories of work and faithfulness. I have some stories. That's the power of the story. You have stories. That's why I've got some of y'all telling your stories out loud. We've got stories of God doing great work. Why wouldn't we walk more confidently more courageously and more faithfully so victory for david and israel was authorized in that tent this little pizza delivery boy shepherd and by the way let's go ahead and put the next one up, mary he's a shepherd and musician a pizza delivery boy and in the tent we figure this out he's a serious god follower man he loves god and god loves him and god's protected him and God's given him courage and strength. And so as a God follower, Saul has almost no recourse but to go, okay, you know, go on out there. And David goes down this hill and faces a giant of a warrior, seasoned warrior. A lot of people are like, well, David, you know, he didn't have his armor. Saul tried to put put his armor on him and all that. And David was... A lot, of, a lot of us think, well, this is kind of a mismatch. But it's, it's very foolish to think that um, because David really did know what he was doing. You know, David recognized that guy's wearing, he's, first of all, he's nine foot tall. He can't be that fat. You know, you're going to see his arm coming from a mile away when he swings. And then second of all, he's wearing all this armor. You know, even the armor, the weight of the armor is listed. David's like, I'm just this little agile kid. Man, I got, I got a chance at this. You know, I just need a good shot. All I need is a good shot with my slingshot. You know, so I'm going to take five rocks and if I have to, you know, pick up some on, after I miss with those five, I'll keep going after it. He's not afraid to face the giant. He's not. He walked down there confidently. If you don't believe that, read the whole story because when the giant starts mouthing off and says, hey, who are y'all to send dogs out for me? David, and he says, I'm going to cut your head off, feed of the bird. David goes, no, you're not. Not today. Day 41, it's over, buddy. I'm cutting your head off and feeding it to the birds. You've defied God. What were you thinking, (laughs) big dumb guy? And then the battle begins, and with one shot, down goes the giant. Now listen, when that happened, it set a nation free from 40 days of fear and from the possibility of literally being conquered. A little shepherd, the pizza delivery guy, who's good at playing music, set a nation free because he had faith in God. Let me tell you a couple of things about David. Maybe we'll go past the, the verses there probably. Let me tell you a couple of things about David. The story gave him the authority to go face his giant. Remember that? Then his history with God gave him pure faith. I mean, real faith. His history gave him real faith. And then his faith in God, the fact that he was a God follower, gave him courage. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is where rubber meets the road for you as Christians. For us as Christ followers. Because a lot of times when the courage moment gets there, we just chicken out. God, oh man, I don't want to offend them. I'm afraid they'll be upset or, you know, they might embarrass me by something they say or they're going to ask a hard question or, you know, they're going to just shrug and hate me for the rest of their life. And we get all wishy-washy. David had a history with God that said, hey, it's not time to be wishy-washy. When it's time to speak for God, speak for God and let God do the work from there, which is exactly what happened. God did the work. God helped guide that stone. God helped give that boy courage to go down there and face a nine foot, crazy, battling giant. His faith in God was what gave him courage, and God made David brave, not safe. Wasn't safe. You know, if David's mother had been on that sidelines, she'd have beat his other brothers half to death with something. She'd have picked up a stick and whooped them brothers, going, What are you doing letting your little brother go down there? How come y'all aren't out there with him? Right? And good thing David's mom wasn't on the sidelines. But God knew David could do it because David had courage. And he used the courage with his faith. Now, let me finish out with this. This is a part of a story I haven't seen. I've taught this story for years. And my church family, y'all have heard me do it many, many times. David was very close to God. We know twice in in the Old Testament, it says David was a man after God's own heart. Remember that? man after God's own heart. So... When David went to the king, what was he really saying to the king? What was needed for Israel to get free from this Philistine giant? A sacrifice. Somebody that was willing to sacrifice his life if needed. Somebody that was willing to go down and at least make the effort. And say, I will give my life to defend my God and to defend my nation. I'll do it. I love God. And I'm going to go do that. Now, who does that sound like? You know, David went down this hill into this valley. I've looked at the pictures of this. On, uh, it's, I made the valley still there. To the Valley of Elah, still there today. Um, my sons over, my other sons over in Turkey today, and I was sending him text all week of all the crazy good things that God did in that area. He's in, and the Valley of Elah is not far from where he is. But here, here's this beautiful valley. David had to walk down this hill. And defeat an enemy so that his people could be free. Jesus, Son of God, walked up a hill. On the way up that hill, he carried a cross with him. It wasn't his cross, by the way. It was your cross, my cross. Jesus, Son of God, took beating that was your beating, not his beating. Because he was paying for sins that were your sins and my sins, not his sins. And he walked up a hill called Calvary and he died on a cross facing an enemy that you and I couldn't defeat, by the way. You can't defeat death. Oh, but he can't. He took death straight on. And Satan thought he had him, man. Satan's like, I got this. I got the Son of God on the cross. He's only been there six hours and he's already died. They put him in a tomb. And Satan's all celebrating. Yeah, got him. Beat death. Can't beat death. I got death. Satan's rule of death. So he thought. And day three, man, I can't wait to celebrate Easter with y'all, by the way. We're an Easter people. If you know Christ, you're an Easter person. Man, the third day, Jesus came out of that grave and said, There is no defeat for me. Nothing defeats me. Now, by the way, that was an amen moment. When Jesus comes out of the grave, he says, Nothing defeats me. And then he looks at his followers and he goes, and nothing will ever defeat you either. Ever. You can't be defeated if you're a Christ follower. You can't. That was the whole deal. And little David, man after God's own heart, shepherd, musician, pizza delivery guy, takes off his Domino's hat and he walks down that hill and looks at the giant and he goes, you can't defeat me. You can't. Jesus loved us enough and David loved Israel and God enough to sacrifice and pay a debt we couldn't pay I've never seen that David was a lot like Jesus by the way Jesus is called the son of David because he's in the lineage pretty amazing deal isn't it so here's here's what I want to remind you of there was a savior who was 100% sinless who walked up a hill To face the greatest giant of your life. Your sins. The wages of sin is death. And you can't defeat death. You can't. Everybody in this room is going to face it one way or the other. And you won't win. But Jesus said, I will give eternal life to those who trust in my work on this cross. I will give eternal life. And you will defeat death through me. Now, you just have to come through me. You have to believe in my work on the cross. And by the way, if you'll do that, I'll give you abundant life, not just eternal life in heaven, but I'll give you abundant life here on earth so that you can celebrate the things that I'm doing in your family and in your life. So I'm just going to ask real quick, is there anybody here who's never trusted Christ your Lord and Savior? The Holy Spirit's telling you some things now you've never heard. If your mind's kind of wrestling with that truth and you're going, you know, I've I've always understood some of that, but I never knew that it was personal for me. I didn't know Jesus died specifically for me. For every one of us as individuals, He died on the cross and paid every single sin you've ever committed in your past, sins you'll commit today and sins you'll commit in your future, all paid for on the cross. We just have to trust in that matchless work that He did and believe it with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and commit our way to it. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me.